Hi folks, a very quick announcement before we get started on the episode this week. And that is a huge thank you to Katie Unicorn Stewart. I don't know if your middle name really is Unicorn. If it is, that is an awesome name. So the fabulous Katie Unicorn Stewart gave us a recent review on Apple Podcasts about the recent Governance Summit summary. So five stars for Take On Board, she says. Loved the recent Governance Summit summary podcasts. Super useful. Katie, happy to help. Thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time to do a review. So a little prompt for others that might be listening. I love it when I get reviews and you might get read out on the pod as well. So get in there and work out how to do ratings and reviews and let me know what you think of the pod. All right, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'll be speaking with Joe Plummer about board meetings and governance challenges. Joe is an experienced board chair, professional mentor, expert facilitator, master of ceremonies, fairness and equity champion. Her sweet spot is aligning commercial, social and environmental outcomes. Joe is the board chair of Barwon Water, of Barwon Asset Solutions, of Vic Water, of the South Melbourne Market Advisory Committee, Geelong Regional Football, and a committee member of Geelong AICD and on the advisory board of the Deakin MBA Committee. I think I've got all of those right. You'll correct me in a moment, Jo. There's so many of them. She was also formerly on the Central Highlands Water Board, Geelong Rangers Soccer Club and Barwon Youth. So as you can tell, Jo's got an incredible wealth of governance experience that she can share with us today. And I'm sure you're going to enjoy the conversation that we're about to have. So welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Jo. Thank you. It's a great pleasure and a privilege to be here. So, Joe, before we explore board meetings and governance challenges, I'd love to explore a little bit more about you. So can you tell me a story about young Joe that tells us a bit about how you got to where you are today? Growing up and a young Joe, I was a reasonably independent, feisty, competitive little person. <laughs> Not much has changed, I have to say. Being the youngest of two children and having emigrated with my family from the UK in 1974 as a 10-pound pom and, you know, really was lucky enough to grow up being told that, um, you know, I was no better or no worse than anybody else and life is yours to make of it what you wish for so and that's not to say that you know of course bumps and things don't happen along the way but I think you know having that resilience and a level of confidence that you have what you need to get by and make the best out of certain situations was certainly something that was ingrained to me as a, as a young person and that's certainly been very helpful throughout my career. 
Yeah, I'm sure those skills of resilience and confidence are key to being an effective board member. So I'm sure they were part of what built you into the role that you're at today. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think we often sometimes don't reflect on, you know, our our history and how that does actually get us to, to the point that we're at. And there's no doubt that much of your journey along the way is about being in the right place at the right time, but it's also about just saying yes and having a go at something and seeing where it takes you. I often say to my children, who aren't really children, they're, they're actually young men now, but um, I often say to them that my greatest strength is that I'm average at a lot of things. I'm actually not an expert in anything in particular, but because I've given lots of things a go and been okay with not being the best at everything, but actually doing it to a point that I can use it, have some fun with it and do it well enough to get by, that that is actually something that served me quite well. I went through the long list of amazing organisations that you're uh, in a governance role on, and I, I like to find out a little bit more about those organisations, but you're on so many. I know we're not meant to have favourites and maybe you won't be choosing your favourites here, but I'm wondering if you can just tell us about, I don't know, one or two of the organisations that you're on the board of. Sure. And look, I think, um, you know, in terms of favourites, to be fair, I really don't have any in such that, you know, you get to a point in your life where if you're you know, your values that you have and the value proposition that you offer don't fit with an area that you're working with, then it's good to say no to that opportunity. And I can honestly say that I'm not working with anybody that I'm not happy to be working with. And that's a very fortunate position, but it's also a very deliberate position. But I will give you a couple of examples. So my probably the the largest role that I would have and the most significant is being board chair for Bow and Water. And Bow and Water is Victoria's largest regional urban water corporation. And we very recently launched a visionary new strategy for 2030 back a year or so ago. And really what we've looked to do is to build on our core business success but really jump into a new phase to shift the mindset from water utility to being a leader of regional prosperity through a whole range of initiatives. And a water organisation is so much more than taps and toilets. We spend lots and lots of money every year on infrastructure. And if you consider how important it is to have both a wet and a green environment and what that does for towns and cities and you know health and mental health and all of those things and what we've come up with uh, the reason for us existing is around creating regional or enabling regional prosperity so I think that's quite unique for a water business and that's certainly something I'm incredibly proud of and really love I guess the values and the ethics of the organisation which I'm part of so that's that's one of them. The other one, which is probably a little different and one that I'm, I volunteer for, so that's a different space, and probably about 30% of my time is on give back projects, things that I'm really passionate about. So I am chair for the Geelong Regional Football Committee, which is a committee that is serves really football Victoria for the Geelong region, the G21 region, which represents five different councils. And so that committee actually uh, serves 
all of the football clubs in that area. And indeed, we are the fastest growing region in Victoria. And football, uh, in terms of soccer, is actually the highest participated club sport in the country. So there are enormous opportunities and challenges in terms of infrastructure and facilities and coaching and so forth that presented through that challenge. But the reason why I'm involved is because I think sport is just something that has such tremendous ability to bring communities together and to help them thrive and connect and belong for people. You know, you can hear your enthusiasm for them in your voice. And you'd mentioned earlier about that they're all values aligned, which is such an important thing for all of us in any organisation, but particularly, I think, in a governance role to ensure that values alignment. Oh, so many questions from what you've just said. In terms of that values alignment, what helped you get clear on your values? Look, I think life. It's it's interesting because I think, you know, I reflect on myself as 20-something and very early in my commercial career and being very righteous and values-driven. But those things are only as good as the decisions that you make when you're faced with a conundrum and, you know, what it is that you actually do when people aren't looking and so forth. And, you know, that was a really good opportunity for me to, you know, in that commercial high cutthroat sort of environment to see people's behaviour and how that actually did or did not match with what they said they were believing in and, and so forth. But I think, you know, in terms of shaping my values, there's a whole bunch of things that come to play, not least of all being human. And I think, you know, you can be great at lots of things and, you know, you can pretend to be an expert in the room on lots of things and you can pretend that life is rosy all of the time, that everything is going swimmingly. But what I've found is if you're more authentic than that and, you know, you share not only your wins and your opportunities but also your challenges and you do that in a really authentic way, people relate to you much more easily and I think that's much more valuable for people but I think just being a good person you know it's it's actually around sort of saying you know what is the right thing to do here and if I were on the opposite side of the fence how would I want someone to respond and for me that's really what shapes your values. Mm, Yeah yeah again which is all great skills for being a director having that understanding of self and also that self-awareness about where others are at as well. And I have to say I do actively and have actively spent quite a bit of time really unpacking my values and it comes from why do I exist and, you know, what is the legacy that I want to leave my footprint when I disappear from the earth? What does that look like? And really try to unpack that and bring that into the behaviours hopefully most of the time, you know, in the things that I do. And I also help other people do that because I think if you can align your values with your value proposition, particularly, you know, with being on boards and so forth, that is an incredible X factor for you as a board director. You talked about the legacy you want to leave. What's the legacy you want to leave? So I think there's probably a number, but the thing that really floats my boat and they're kind of coupled but kind of not so my archetype is the renovator so I'm someone who wants to fix and make better it doesn't matter whether I'm washing the dishes or whether I'm actually working inside an organization to 
bring up a foundational piece to meet its obligations. I just want to make things better than when I started. And for me, you know, having a commercial, a long-term commercial career in private corporations, in large business, and getting the very best training out of that, but also seeing that those things are not the only important factors. So being able to use that experience to get really good commercial outcomes, but really balancing and aligning those with social and environmental outcomes and indeed our responsibilities. And the three must and shall coexist. And that's that's probably the legacy I would like to leave is that showing and continually demonstrating and helping others to find that balance. Oh, it's hard to know where to go with the conversation because there's so many threads in it. But let's go back to the start for you. Tell me about your first paid board role and who that was with and how you got there. I might just go back a step further Mm. and talk about how I first got interested in boards, if that's helpful. Absolutely. I was uh, lucky enough when I was in corporate to be on a leadership program for women at the time. And part of that program was meeting some fairly influential women that were leading in a particular space. One of the many would know, her name was Christine Nixon, and the other was a lady by the name of Sandra McPhee, who was on a board of one of the major airlines. And I had, you know, been involved in strategy and business planning and marketing and branding and all those sorts of things for a very long time and doing it from the internal bowels of the organisation, as it were. And in listening to these women talk and talking about governance and leadership and boards, I just had that epiphany that the very best way to shape strategic outcomes is from the boardroom. And from that moment on, I had decided that that was actually going to be my destiny, that, you know, it was a bit of a mugs game being in in senior management, trying to influence the top and bring along people that were sort of sitting in your team, you were kind of the meat in the sandwich, as it were. And so I had decided that I, um, you know, at a certain point in time when it was right for me, leave the big corporate world and start really getting some experience around not just large corporate but government, not-for-profits, me, business, et cetera, to really extend my industry knowledge as well as getting some company director training. And so, you know, ended up doing the company director's program and a number of other things along the way. So that was kind of the thought behind it. And on my travels during that time, I jumped onto a not-for-profit and cut my teeth in that space And while I was consulting, getting some of these experiences um, in government in particular, I was actually working for one of the water boards using my retail experience, which was around, you know, making life easier for customers and process improvement and those sorts of things. And, you know, it was one of the, the local water boards. And through that process, ended up hearing that, you know, the government actually put on different director intakes and the like and put my hand up for one of those roles as it came up and was lucky enough to get a go on the board of Central Highlands Water as a director. So that was my first paid board role and, you know, sat on a number of committees as part of that and really sort of started sinking my teeth into what the rest of my portfolio might look like as time went on, but I was still very actively consulting at that time as well. 
Yeah, so a bit of a mix of different roles, which is, I think, a pretty common way for people to start in there is to balance up all of the different roles, including some non-governance roles in your portfolio. So that first one, Central Highlands Water, can you remember your first board meeting or your first interaction there? How did that, how did it happen? I can. It was, it was awful. It was a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it wasn't, but it would be great to hear about, well, it's always great to hear of people's impressions, even when they're not so good. So yeah, what happened? You know, it was still back in the time when, I mean, I'm, and I'm talking eight to 10 years ago, and really the, the role of a board director still wasn't just demystified really. So it was really this group of people that I would hold on a pedestal, which is, you know, completely not required at all. They're just normal people like you and I are. And this was my first board meeting, but that organisation used to have board meetings in various parts of their community. And this particular community we had to go to was like a good two and a half hours drive from my home. My children were quite young at that time. Anyway, I had got up at the crack of dawn, tracked my way to this place that I'd never been to before. And the first day you have to have your photos and all those sorts of things taken. So it's all, you know, worried about what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to look like, or not, you know, all of those things that don't really matter at all when you when you look back on it. And the anxiety of getting there on time, et cetera, et cetera, having read all the board papers. And we arrived and it was in a very, very old-fashioned town hall that had, you know, all the council leaders and timber pews and a great big long board leather table and all sorts of things. And I just thought, oh, my Lordy Lou, this is not me at all. You know, I'm not in that, you know, that space. I'm much more contemporary (laughs) in that way. And it it was quite confronting. And then, of course, about 15 minutes before the board meeting was about to start, I got a a call from my children's school to say that my youngest son had had a bang on the head had fell off some monkey bars and, um, you know, that somebody needed to come and pick him up. (laughs) (gasps) Oh, my goodness. So what did you do? And so, you know, very quickly established that it wasn't life-threatening, that Mm -hmm. he was, you know, upset but fine and, and all of that. And so I ended up ringing my husband who... Um, was also at work but closer than I was and mm-hmm. ended up dealing with the problem. But by the time I got to sit to the table, I was fairly frazzled, as you can imagine, <laughs> <laughs> and, and completely feeling like an imposter. Yeah, it's fascinating, this imposter syndrome, isn't it? It's such a common feeling, you know, which we all feel at some stage. What are some of your strategies for dealing with it? Yeah, and I guess this is this is one of the things that I have certainly learned and very happy to share with people is about really, you know, getting comfortable in what it is that you have to offer. And I said earlier about making sure that your values are congruent with your value proposition. And I think it's it's about accepting that you don't need to be the smartest person in the room. You don't need to be a specialist in every part of you know, what is required as a director, but you do need to be smart enough to ask the right questions and get help where you need to. And the very worst thing that you can do is to pretend, I think, that you are something that you're not and that you're an expert in something you're not. It can be very powerful to say to people, help me understand more about or have we considered or I'm not the expert in. However, it seems to me can you explain more about that? So you're really asking questions in a way that, A, are giving you some really good information, 
but hopefully also helping other people to rethink and check in. Oh, well, actually, now that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that in that way. The art of asking the good question or even just being courageous enough to ask a question at all is a real skill for directors, isn't it? It is, and a very probably one of the most important skills, I think. Mm. You know, your line of questioning can really either open up a conversation and be incredibly positive. Asked in the wrong way can be very destructive and constricting. That's right. It's around curiosity and exploring and not necessarily knowing the answers. Are there some examples or some situations that you've seen where it's worked really well or otherwise? There are, but I, and I think one of the things that, so I have a little formula that I have worked on over my time as a director and it's called the performance formula. And this is really how I try to think about it. And so being a board director is very much around thinking around the table. You know, there's obviously a level of regulation and compliance that boards need to meet. But if that is all you're doing as a board, mm. I mean, the performance formula occurs, I think, when the sum of all parts sitting around the table, so the collective nous is greater than one. Mm. And so for me, that happens when you have the compliance and the regulation things nailed and they are dealt with appropriately. But then you've actually got a level of strategic nous which all comes in the questioning and the expertise and getting the right people to the table at the right time and so forth. But more important than that, again, is that behavioural dynamics mm. around the boardroom. And so the performance formula that I have is, is compliance plus the legalities plus the strategic nous plus behavioural dynamics squared. Um, and while that sounds very technical, I guess the essence is to say that however positive and strong you think your relationships are, you know, you need to double and triple that because if you really can't get down and unpack some of those meaty issues in a really positive, provocative, constructive way, you will never get the sum of all parts being greater than one. And so the boards that I sit on and the committees I sit on, I do insist on us investing time and money with each of the directors to really create that positive behavioural dynamic and, you know, being able to really give each other good feedback, whatever you've got to say, you know, say it sooner, don't, you know, really hone in on, on keeping that close to your chest and so forth and really making sure that we have a conversation that is abundant and opening and flourishing as opposed to constricting and negative and one-upmanship. As the chair of so many boards, I'm guessing you've had a number of difficult conversations with board directors, and I'm absolutely not going to ask you to reveal any of them here, but I'm wondering, what are your tips in that? Because it's, it's a key for any board member, for any chair to be able to have those difficult conversations. What's your advice to other chairs that need to have those conversations? I think the best piece of advice, apart from never procrastinate, the sooner you have that conversation the better and you know in the right environment in a positive way etc cetera, etc cetera. but the best tool that I think you can do particularly as chair is to work with the other board directors and probably the executive 
and really hone in on what are our expectations of each other. How will we behave? What will we tolerate from each other? What won't we tolerate? What will be our legacy at the end of each board meeting? How will we know if we've actually added value, et cetera, et cetera? And really thinking about as a board, what is it that we stand for and agreeing to that and every now and again testing along the way, every quarter, every half, how are we going, checking in with that. And what you'll find is that will take the emotion out of difficult discussions because you will have that space and time to reflect and people will either self-correct or the team will jump in and actually call it for you so that actually it's more of a peer review and then of course as a last resort you can step in as chair and have that conversation using what it was that we all agreed to and using examples of how that may or may not be happening and what might be a better response going forward. I want to skip back to something that we talked about way back at the start because I made a note that I wanted to explore that a little bit more as well. And that was when you talked about Barwon Water, I think, and its strategy, your 2030 strategy. Now, if you've just done your 2030 strategy now, that means it's a 10 or 11 or a 12-year horizon for your strategy. And I find when I'm working with clients around strategy, it's always a fascinating conversation about are we doing a 12-month strategy, a three-year strategy, a five-year strategy, or even further ahead. And it sounds like Barwon Water's just done one, which, as I say, it's either 10, 11, 12, something like that, years ahead. Can you talk me through the thinking around that with the board around the horizon for your strategy? It's certainly fair to say, and my core skill is as a strategist, in general, strategy timelines have shortened. But in the water industry, and it really depends on what industry you're in, we are talking about long-term assets and long-term planning issues. And so we also have planning 50 years in advance. Fantastic. How interesting. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And so, um, you know, 10 years, if you think about building pipelines and infrastructure, that may take, you may need some community consultation, you have to get policy and government aligned, some of the things that you might be doing, Um, you've then got to get business cases, um, you've got to build it, you've got to operate it, etc, etc. It really is, 10 years is not a long time. We do, of course, have shorter term strategies than that. I mean, 2030 is close enough for us to be able to see it and feel it and touch it. But there's certainly it is broken down to milestones so that, you know, we can really check in and measure how we're going and also dial up or dial down or tweak if we need to along the way. So each year, um, certainly at every board meeting, we would have time to do a deep dive on certain strategic issues. But every six to 12 months, we also do a bit of a check-in and see where we need to refresh or, as I said, dial up or dial down on certain areas. But the milestoning of those longer-term planning horizons are really important. Yeah, interesting. Great. I'm so glad I went back to that because it's something that often boards not struggle with, but certainly consider what should be the horizon and, you know, hearing that for 
water boards and the long-term nature of the assets in that industry makes it eminently sensible to have that really long-term horizon for it. Um, Particularly um, population growth. You know, in many places we're talking about it doubling, you know, by 2050 and also with a hotter, drier climate, more people, urban sprawl, more infrastructure. How do we actually deal with that? So, of course, we want to be ahead of the game, not, not in catch-up mode. Joe, I'm wondering, like, if this were a board meeting and you chair a number of board meetings, if this conversation had been a board meeting and you were doing the summary at the end, I'm just wondering what are the main points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? I think as a board director, it's really important to understand how you fit within the overall context and how it is that you add value. If you want to be not just a good director, but a dare I say, a great director, it's really important to take some time to really unpack your motivation and purpose and think about, I talked about understanding your value proposition and hopefully if you can align that with your values, you have a real sweet spot there. And I talked about mine being the balance between the commercial, social and environmental outcomes. The importance of planning strategically, the sorts of organisations that you want to be able to influence and planning for that and also investing in, you know, where you need it, some professional mentoring because, you know, even when you've got your first board gig, I think, you know, working through understanding how it is you add value, how you get through tricky dynamics, really getting comfortable in your own space, that can be incredibly helpful And also, you know, if you've got a mentor with somebody who has been there before you and can also bring you along and make connections and networks and all those sorts of things, that all adds value into your own portfolio and, you know, the boards that you work on. So is there a resource that you can recommend for the Take On Board community, like a book or a podcast, a TED Talk, something like that? Sure. Look, I guess there's there's lots of them. There's another podcast that I did a little while ago that talks about gender equity in the boardroom and some strategies for getting more women on the boardroom table. Fantastic. A topic very close to my heart. So I was very pleased to see that because I haven't found many podcasts about it. So I will definitely put a link to that in the show notes. And the other one is a blog that I'm subscribed to, which I find incredibly interesting. It's called The Director's Dilemma. And it gives real-life examples of things that happen in the boardroom every day. And that dilemma is sort of shared amongst two or three experienced directors and they all give their view or answer on that particular conundrum because often, you know, there is no right answer per se and there's many ways to trim your toenails, as it were. And so it's really interesting to see different people's perspectives on how they would deal with that particular area. So I get a lot out of out of reading that frequently. Yeah, it is. A, it's a fantastic resource. I've had a look at that one too, and it is just fabulous for, yeah, looking at how different people do it. I love it. Different ways to trim the toenails. <laughs> fantastic. Look, thank you so much, Joe. It's been your experience is incredible, and being able to share some of that with the Take On Board community has been great. Around you know being an effective board member yourself and having those fantastic board meetings and different governance challenges. So thank you so much for giving your time to us today. I know people will really appreciate it. 
My very great pleasure. And thank you for asking and having the opportunity. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.